Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller. I hunt for the latest and greatest authors and experts in self-help and ask them the in-depth questions I'm curious about for my own growth. And I bring these conversation series to you so we can learn and grow together. This is our Functional Friday episode, and we're talking about the fourth pillar of functional medicine, which is the mind-body connection. We really look at that as a relationship, and as such, are going to cover some different aspects of relationships. I'm joined by my Functional Friday co-host, Randy James, medical doctor and functional medicine expert. And it's appropriate to be following uh, the last episode where he and I talked about what's your Everest from rock star explorer Colin O'Brady. And this is about purpose and hope. That's what today's show is about as well. Different take on it though. Randy is often treating people with physical ailments, often chronic and long-term issues. And he's looking to get to the root cause, not just treat the symptom. Uh, where most doctors are looking at basic lab results, tests, and, and again, symptoms, Randy's looking at the overall person's life. And if he sees a significant lap of purpose and hope, it's often a root issue to whatever physical symptom they are manifesting. Randy and I candidly cover his experiences around this subject with patients and the dire need for help in our culture that seems to be losing touch with hope and purpose and how you can clarify and leverage it in your life for your overall health. If you find value from this self-helpful podcast, subscribe, leave a review about this specific episode and best off share the information with someone else. You can connect with me at kevinmiller.co. Next up, Dr. James and I discuss the very powerful medicine of purpose and hope. All right, so we're talking about this fourth pillar of functional medicine that we have uh, expanded on to a degree. Last episode 11, we talked about, and we've we named this relationships. In functional medicine, they call it mind-body, but we said relationships. And last week, we talked about the relationship between the mind and the body. So here's another issue. And so here I'm the personal development, you know, self-help guy. And so when we talk about hope and purpose, that can sound all kind of ethereal and you know, kumbaya and yeah, everybody should have hope and purpose. I want to bring it down to brass tacks of you as a doctor prescribing this for people, requiring it, uh, elevating it. And even to the point of, and I thought a good place to start is you have somebody come here. Let's say one of the out of state, you know, patients who flies here, gets a hotel, is paying a lot of money, putting in a lot of time. And then the first, actually, before they even come in here, you're asking them, on their intake form, what is your goal? What's the purpose? What are you here expecting? Right. And even as you and I have, have often commented, people don't, they don't make it to the office if they don't have hope. Right. right? That, that, that's, and, and sometimes even for their very first inquiry is that they sit down to the computer and they're like, oh my gosh, I got to, I heard about functional medicine. I heard about this guy. I heard about something. I wonder, they click around. And sometimes when they hear that first voice on the phone, whether it's the secretary or you or me or whatever, and there's that sense of relief of, because they had hope. There's so much hope. I hope somebody understands me. I hope they can help me. I hope that this is a new pathway forward. Well, in all truth, sometimes they're here as a last hope. 
Has it even the last they've tried hope, right. all this? They've tried traditional medicine. They've gone here. They're gone, and now they're looking at. Oh my gosh, am I really going to? Because this is a no. You have a no insurance uh, policy. You're, they're paying out of pocket. Am I really going to cough up this much money? Because but they're, I'm here because they're almost at the end of the rope with without uh, without hope. So as we talk about the the necessity, the requirement to be again to be well, like we talked about before this, th- is this for everybody? I mean, we could try to say that, but. By proxy of listening to this show, the True Life Show, or my other podcast, the Ziegler Show, or anything personal development or self help, we can assume that you are wanting to become, as you say, weller. We can't be perfectly well, but they want to be weller. And so we're saying that this piece right here, hope, and I'm going to say hope with expectation. We can we can uh, dig into that a little bit, but having purpose is a requirement that you sit down. It's like the show. I don't know if it's the last show or the one before, and I mentioned that you. After meeting with a patient multiple times, you finally, your kind of most acute diagnosis or prescription, as you said, you've got to get your adult son out of your house. It is the most acute thing going on with you, more so than what you're eating. It is causing the primary pain in your life that in the same, with the same gravity of you working with people and saying they've got to have, if they don't have a hope, a purpose, a goal, an expectation in mind, they're not going to do anything. Right. And, and you use the example of, of the sun, but it could also be what we need to do right, right now is staunch the bleeding. You're, you're bleeding. Let's yeah. put a finger on it. That is the required right now. It doesn't matter what your hopes are at that point. Uh, or whatever the medication or application is in that particular case, get somebody out of the house. And so here we are talking about hope that if, and I'll often write down as prescriptive, prescriptively, <clears throat> Two things, to recognize, intentionally have a hope and an inspiration and be building on that. And secondly, as we're hitting our oftentimes, you know, around the six months or 12 months down the pathway and look back and people will say, um, oh my gosh, I didn't even notice that XYZ happened or I got a little bit better, my headache, this and that. And, and I will write down and say, you must take the medication of realized hope or encouragement or whatever that like you and I just got done having lunch and we said we take things for granted we have so much hope and we almost take that for granted not realizing that hope is a medicine capital M and so the whole concept of functional medicine and true life medicine is that there is always something weller you can always have more well-being and more of these kinds of things within reason we're not saying pie in the sky stuff and and a lot of times we're redirecting people's hope to recognize that what they already have is evidence of realized hope is right. already hopeful you and I are are standing here we're not falling down we we have a hope that in our capacity this afternoon to do good work and that's a small hope because we already we take it for granted we expect it mm-hmm. And you and I take great pains to try and stop every day and say, okay, gratefulness for hope, as we're talking about today. And I can walk, I can talk, I can do these things, but I'm so grateful for hope because hopelessness is such a bad thing for your body. The mind part, the body part, the physical part, the heart part, and we'll unpack that. And that's why when I got into this, I almost got to that. And I know this is always a a, a chicken and egg and a a 
controversial or debatable issue of what comes first, because it, it's, you know, here we are in episode 12 and we've gone through other things, you know, food, nutrition, and all these things that feels like they're all first that, but this one without that, well, let's come at it this way. Because in truth, as I think about it, how often do you have patients who come into true life medicine uh, up here in the Rocky Mountains and they're coming because they have a problem. They're coming because mm-hmm. this feels bad. This ache, this pain, this brain fog, this whatever, I don't feel well. And so you start going. So they have a hope that that will get better. But as you start to unpack the context of their lives, figure out what is their true motivation um, and, and what is it going to take to what is the root issue of that Uh, of that problem, you also have people who will go on and the months go on and you've prescribed a lot of things and they have not done that. And you come back around to going, okay, why did you come here in the first place? Mm -hmm. Why is it that, why is it that there's obviously not a reason big enough for you to make the life change necessary for, so we're back again to hope and well, and to purpose, you know, what is the purpose? And I want to, I don't want to just banny those around. I mean, they are, they can be different. We talked, uh, take hope. I mean, you can have hope that you win the lottery or a fairy godmother miss, uh, visits you. And that's just kind of a, you know, pie in the sky hope different than an, the hope of expectation. I hope that this happens as a result of me striving to make it happen. I mean, a, uh, what is that? A, a viable hope, uh, right. And, and, and expectant hope and expectant hope. Okay. So that's hope. Purpose over here, and we, you and I were talking before the show. Purpose can can somewhat be a different thing. You can have purpose, but we know that we know that in the workplace. I think everybody, I would expect that everybody's heard that those who have purpose in their work, their success, their longevity, their joy, their everything is better than those who are over here and they feel like a cog in the wheel. They don't know what they are accomplishing. That which we see more and more in the corporate world, where people are so far removed from the end result of the product or service, they're even a attached to, they don't find uh, purpose in that. And yet we find some people, and even if they're not attached to that, they might find purpose in the community, the culture they're in right. with their coworkers. Maybe they're, they've got an office pool of people that help, you know, the homeless or, or whatever, but the need for purpose to some degree is so vital without that. It feels like the flame flickers and there's, it's hard to motivate ourselves in any way, shape or form to move forward. Right. It's hard to get out of bed, much less, you know, have a difficult eating style or exercise style or devotional style that it's, it's so intertwined. Um, it's hard to not talk about, and, and, and that's what you say. We don't want to bandy the terms about, but hope and purpose, hope with an expectation that my efforts are going to result in a fruition of something. Well, and we can... In this discussion, it can easily get into faith. I mean, what is your hope? I talked about this to the kids this morning that in devotions that a big part of my faith is my belief in God and my role in a bigger picture and that I have, uh, I, I don't take the biblically the, the will of God as a right of mine. It's something that I have to participate in or I can be outside of it. Otherwise I don't have free will, but there's the fear of God. And you get into a lot of, a lot of things there, but I, I even hear that people, you know, what, what is your hope? I have a hope in God. Okay. What are you going to do now? This moment in your work in your life in your marriage and your parent. And, and they don't, if you can't bring it down to a tangible, what do I do now? Which you and I, how often have we done that? Kind of had a prayerful time and go, okay, well got to go do something. Good work. <laughs> and where is that? 
purpose. And I think so many of us, the purpose is just gets to be just the grind of life. You know, well, you got to go to work, you got to get the kids, you got to do whatever, <laughs> which to some degree is better than nothing. Better well, than purposelessness. And wouldn't we bring in the phrase here now about faith as the evidence of things hoped for, the, the substance of things not seen? And I've leaned on that verse a long time. It, it is evidence. There is, there is a tangible consequence of hope. I, have, I hoped for a degree, and for four, well, in my case, for five years, I went to school every day, did my homework, did all that kind of stuff, and, and there's a degree. There's now evidence of the things that were hoped for. Right. Substance it means substance. It is what is, what is standing under your feet. You are standing on something, mm-hmm. and that is what faith is. There is a foundation to this belief and this expectation and this hope. Um, and if those things aren't there, and this is where you're saying we know, and in the the white-collar world is now changing, right? Because now we have so much power with computational stuff and AI and and the Industrial Revolution and took away the value of the worker, so to speak. And so... Mm-hmm. Way less people on the farm, way less people. They went to the factories, and now that got automated in there, and there was way less emphasis on the on the line, the guy whose job was to screw the thing on the thing, and, and then the, the economy shifted again. And now we're seeing in the white-collar world this wave of depression, of anxiety, of because they're so far removed from their product. They're so far removed. They're, a, they're a, not a cog in a wheel. They're a pencil on a paper, or really they're a, a keyboard right, of passing a digital piece of information along from one place to the next, which the AI, uh, artificial intelligence world is going to replace many of these jobs in the next, you know, 10 or 20 years. And there's a fear there, because that's the prime mover of, of things going on, but it's connected to this idea of what am I doing? What is the hope? What is the purpose? Well, so to, to piggyback right on what you're talking about, that here we are in this culture where it would seemingly, if we look back now, if we look back, I'm reading the book, uh, to one of my little girls, uh, it's like the Laura Ingalls little house in the prairie. It's one of those big house in the woods or something like that. And their day is consumed with survival, go out, kill a fox, you know, for clothing, next meal ready. Yeah. Melt the snow. Uh, I mean, it was consumed with that. Today, with the amount of conveniences that we have, we should be at the ultimate point of the most ease, the most uh, peace. I mean, everything should be just, I mean, if our grandparents had that or our great-grandparents had what we have now, they think, oh my gosh, what would I do all day? All I could do is microwave food, go buy it here. I mean, I turn the water faucet on, and yet we are, as you said, we have more. Clearly, the answer is Fortnite. Yeah. Yeah. We have more, well, we have more chronic illness, disease, depression. We are sadder and sicker than ever. But I wonder about that with purpose because we also have been removed. And this is what brought it up. But you saying that we've been removed from some of the realities of life. We can just entertain ourselves to death or just be busy ourselves um, to death. And we have more people who are not participating in life. They are spectating, uh, whether Ooh, it is yeah. via uh, sports game or Fortnite or whatever video game, or just the, the, the social media scrollingness that we, that we do like mad. And we do not have true purpose. 
So right. again, I mean, so again, to elevate this, and the point is not to necessarily talk about the whole culture, but I'm saying that you, Dr. James, sit in front of a person, and sometimes your primary prescription for their aches, pains, lacks, whatever, is saying, "Man, we've got to back up." I mean, you talked about are that. You here? Yeah, you didn't start out to be a counselor or a coach, but you're put, if, if somebody wants to be well, and you see, my gosh, the most acute thing right now is you don't know where you're going. Right. Uh, Who the the every man question of every great movie, every great story, every great piece of literature is who am I? Why am I here? And for heaven's sakes, if you don't have <clears throat> at least some even a partial answer to that, then I would argue you can't be well. You, you, Absolutely. You, you can't have well-being if you don't know who you are and why you're here and where you're going. Gosh, and how many? You've got a target demographic. I don't know what the percentage would be of people who are of the age of empty nest. And mm-hmm. we see that. The, the kids go and you've lost your purpose. You didn't. Re- it's a biggie or retirement age. Or, is, okay, yeah. yeah. And we see that people retire and their digression is just catapulted uh, yeah. uh, without, again, that purpose. So this is, I mean, I know these are big statements, but again, I, I, I love it after having seen you for the past almost five years now, as you are working with patients who have real aches, pains, ailments, issues, things that they want to get better, that this ends up being a primary pillar that has to be known for you to understand how to get them well, one, and for them to therefore do the things that right. they need to do. Uh, yeah. Cause my gosh, without purpose, why would I get up early? Why would I take the time that I need to direct my day and my morning? And why would I meditate? Why would I, why would I lift weights? That's the dumbest one to me that I do, but my gosh, I do it. But why would I do those things without understanding of what my purpose, my role is without some hope and some expectation. So again, bringing that here, if you want to be well, or that this is a dire component that I think we tend to put off and go, yeah, that's kind of a neat thing. New year's resolutions kind of deal. Or if you've got that, and yet, you know, on the Ziegler show, there's not one person that I interview. And these are the biggest influencers we have on planet earth. These are, these are what the rest of us are listening to following revering and those people all have absolute uh, uh, clarified purpose, hopes, and expectations. Therefore, why would we not? And yet the majority of us have not done that and clarified that. And just real quick, you know, on that, we talk about goals. Uh, I really appreciate Tom Ziegler, and he has been really vocal about this over the past year or so. Some study was done. And the majority, 80% of people, if you lay out goals versus problems, 80% of our populace. So right now, as you folks are listening, 80% of you think more in terms of problems, not goals. Goals does not thrill you. And it doesn't me. I tend to think of problems. Here's something I want to fix. I want to be better. I'm more problem oriented, motivated than goals. It's the same thing. Go with problems. Couple of, of thoughts that I had in there was think of our young people or the people who aren't already highly motivated with mission, passion, purpose. And which is got, more and more young people. Which don't. is more yeah. and more young people, the millennial, the Gen Z. And if we look at these characteristic kind of whatever, it's not putting anybody in a box, but never before did our forefathers have the incredibly scintillating, titillating image of an electronic 
you can go on a great adventure and all you have to do from your own easy chair, whether it's Nat Geo channel or you plug in the eye thing and the ear thing and you can experience so much. Mm-hmm. You and I, we, we read Ready Player One and that, that idea that pretty soon you really don't even have to leave your home and you can experience, I would argue, a fake level of these kinds of things. Or, and to my 13-year-old, you can go do math homework. Mm-hmm. Now, which one are they going to naturally choose? It's kind of like broccoli or ice cream. I'm, if go- you, I'm going with the video game on that one. <laughs> <laughs> totally, at least for a while, right, and it's right, a good right, experience right. and all that. The, the, the problem is not the video game. The problem is we're all humans. And, and that comes back to kind of where you were going as, as goal. And um, just this morning in my own research, uh, Dr. Martha... Herbert or a bear. She's a uh, pediatric child psychologist at Harvard. And the concept of depression, anxiety, and OCD and those kind of things as a consequence of brain inflammation or just ignoring the, the totality of the total body load. And one of her great words, and I love this, is thinking of transcendence. That rather than seeing a problem... And, and, and the phrase was, and she was trying to translate a German word in one of those untranslatable things, but it was, try to see the problem as art. Now, chew on that one for a minute, right? Yeah. If, you know, art, and that's why, we, that's why we love story, we love movies, we love pictures, we love these things, because it does take the unsayable and it says it. There's no place in modern medicine for this, right? We don't have an ICD-10 code for unsayable problems. And I've got this person in front of me who's looking at me with her eyebrows raised and the shoulders up like, do you see what I'm saying? And I'm like, yeah, I get it. But there's no insurance company on the planet is going to go, oh yeah, that's ICD-10 number or whatever, whatever, and we pay a hundred bucks for that or whatever. But the, uh, humans get it. And so then the, the next thing after that is to say, okay, this is big. Now, I'm not going to tell that. I can't, right? They are the captain of their ship. And, and remember that phrase from that movie, oh, captain, my captain. It's uh-huh. like, where are we going? The world is out there, the stars and the whatever, and, and you've got pain. It's the rocky shoals. What is your hope? Well, I want to get out of the pain. Okay, great, but where are we going? I mean, I know you want to get out of pain. That's, that's kind of normal. To, to do what? Okay, I want I want to elevate that right there. That I mean, you are a medical doctor. You're an MD. You went to school, went through the Air Force, and graduated from I can't remember Kansas, uh, University of Kansas. Right. right. MD came out of that. Well, you you served as a medical doctor, not a functional medicine, as a medical doctor doing what traditional doctors do. You did that in the Air Force. You came out. You joined a practice or, or started a practice, and you were doing that initially. And yet your your desire, your pursuit, your calling was how can I really help people well? And I do want to make without trying to diss the current system or whatever, it is great. Like you said, if you're in a car wreck, America is a great place to be because we're good at fixing you. We're good at managing illness and disease. We are not good at preventing it or healing it. That has really has no purpose. Well, even to your own uh, experience in medical school. That was what out of the, however many years of medical school prevention or that type of aspect was what a a day. It was, it was was just kind of, yeah. An afterthought. Yeah. And, and let me, you know, now you got me on a soapbox. Okay. Go. Cause these days 
prevention, and famously, I rattle off, you know, pap smear, mammogram, colonoscopy, get a skin check, and, you know, none of those prevent cancer. They just find it. Uh, they detect it's it. It's detection. Yeah. So, so prevention, and I would say, and like you said, we prevent, we, could, we prevent disease, but do we maintain or achieve wellness? And then the next question is, well, what do you mean by wellness? Mm-hmm. Not dead. Well, you're doing a really good job. But if you mean thriving and set up some push-ups and pull-ups with mission, passion, purpose, how in the world could a system tell you, oh, captain, my captain, what you need to steer your ship towards? But that's exactly where part of our culture wants to go is this, uh, again, I'm, the political debate about a one-system a one medical system and all that, to care for car wrecks and acute illness and disease, a one-system, one-payer system works great. True accidents. True accidents. True, I caught measles and I need some, some antibiotics and I'm going to get better. Uh-huh. That's great. But if we're talking about depression, anxiety, and, and cardiac disease, and hypertension, and a thousand other things, and brain fog, and fatigue, and, yeah. it will utterly fail. Yeah. Or if it succeeds, it will succeed because the government would tell you, no, you are well. You just think you feel bad. Which is where I want to come back to my (laughs) graph that we've never officially made that I have in my mind's eye for myself. And I think you use with, with patients and yourself is if we have a, uh, a two-sided, uh, list of symptoms, what symptoms am I okay with having? And on the other side, performance at what level of performance do I have? And that is different for everybody. And I just told somebody the other day, you have people coming in here. You have had to true life medicine. I'll never forget the guy. And his goal was to get out of a wheelchair. Then you also have another guy. Actually, he's given us a testimonial. Didn't I Can I use his name? Is that uh, can the, I not? the guy who lives the epic? Uh, the the our ultra marathoner. Yeah. Can I use his name? Uh, I think I, I he, think he gave so. us a testimony. Isn't it on the website? Yeah. Okay. Well, then he's he's public. Can I go? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna risk it. We know Dave. His first he, name is he Dave. Knows, his first <laughs> name's Dave. No, his name's Dave Eitmiller. So he just set a course record at one of the big ultra marathons with hundred miler. Here in Colorado for the over 60 uh, yep. category. So here's a guy, and he wants he's, – he's with you to help him maintain that because, as you say, you don't run 100 miles to be healthy. You're hurting no, yourself. Yeah. So he, but he, he loves doing that. How can he remain healthy? How can he defy his age? Uh, 60 years old, most of his, his, count, his peers can't hardly get out of a chair, and he's running 100 miles and is absolutely vibrant. So, again, back to that. What symptoms are you okay with having? What level of performance? And it's going to be different. But even just questioning that right. is huge. And of course, but the levels are probably going to rise as does your purpose, as does your hope and expectation. I just shared my dad, which we can talk about him too. He's your patient. He's got a public testimony. My dad, Dan Miller, uh, author of 48 Days uh, to the Work You Love and pretty, pretty famous guy. And I told you in a, I think it was a family text a couple of days ago, and he is, here's Dr. How old is he? 75, 74, something like that. And he is working right now. He's got two books that are ready to have to be the publisher by December. And he is work. He's planning out the next 20 years of his life. Who's doing that at 70? It's remarkable. So his level, his, his performance is, is higher than most, his expectation, his hope, all those types of things. And we're just simply saying, if you want to, to whatever, to what level of wellness you want to be, this is, Again, paramount. But you, you did. You got your soapbox derailed where I was going with you, uh, which was 
So as you have taken the task of saying, how can I help people get well, actually not just manage the sickness or illness, but, but try to alleviate it, if not eradicate it completely, how can I really make, and it's interesting to me to hear what you're pursuing. So to help you do that job better to take the next person, whether it's a knee pain or a brain pain or whatever that comes in the clinic, the stuff that you are reading is not the traditional medicine fair that most MDs would be reading. You are into uh, the brain. You are into these deeper things like this purpose, uh, which is why we're doing this show because it's, yeah, that, that the neuro, the, I love the concept of neuroplasticity. You are always growing one way or the other. And you're either growing in terms of shrinking in on yourself or you're going to expand. And we see that in our aged and uh, you and I are fans of the Blue Zones and, mm-hmm. you know, Okinawa and the Centenarians there. You're a young pup if you're 80 and out there on the bowling greens and stuff. That's – you're just – Well, let me tell you, if you guys are hearing that. Uh, so Dan Butner, who is – he's more famous today than ever. I think National Geographic uses him as a source for all these – uh, he did the blue zones. And then, uh, what I really like is his next book. I think after that was the blue zones solution. And he went and said, here's where we have the healthiest people, not just longevity, but quality of life as well. And he found five regions, seven regions, something like mm-hmm. that. And, uh, and then his next book I think is the happiest people and did a, very, a similar thing. Where are the happiest people? And, uh, so a great one to, to cause it, it, it kind of knocks some of our com, especially in America our common theories on what health and wellness is and staying away. What from happiness it. is. And what happens. Well, there you go. As yeah. we, as we seem to be growing depression at, we're the greatest growers of it at this <laughs> point, it seems like here in America, the land of plenty. I mean, it is there man, again, we're if, an upside if you, down time. If, if you're going to get in a car wreck, be in America, but if you don't want to be depressed or anxious or have a heart attack or these kinds of things, this is the worst place on the planet. The worst place. I mean, we are not growing happy centenarians. We are, uh, you and I just had lunch and we talked about the, the various types of aging, your dad being a good example and, and so many other examples of the, the fold in on yourself yeah. and, and, um, and everybody I would say out there knows that we all have parents, we all have, uh, grandparents and we've seen, uh, the, the decline and, and of course the decline is normal and natural and that, that we expect that. And does it happen at 65, 75, 85, and in what manner? And uh, we had referenced a guy from a book who had died, or two deaths. And one death was, holy cow, I'm so glad that that person got to go home. They were on their last legs for a long time. And in contrast that to the death of somebody, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, how could that happen? They were so vibrant. They were doing this and that, and it it hurts. Who's going to carry on this work that they were doing and whether the guy was 75 or 85 or 30, now we're back to hope, purpose. The guy who died at 75 with 10 irons in the fire and he's doing this and that and the other versus the one who's 75 and is just kind of ready to go. Their roots came from when they were 50 and 30 and 20 and 10. And those are the people that we're talking well, to. So here's an interesting thought that I'll throw at you. I, I'm thinking about 
culturally, and I say culturally and folks, I know people all over the world listen to these podcasts. Um, We happen to live in America and you're a doctor working with primarily American uh, patients. So that is our context. And we also are in a unique place here in America as the land of plenty, it seems like. And yet we have more negative stats and evolutions happening right now as, as far as health and wellness than ever. It's, it's completely asinine and backwards. In looking at that, I am wondering, I'm literally just pondering this as you're talking there, you know, do we look and think, gosh, it's all the problems that we have in our culture. I mean, look at the news right now. It's complete negativity and crap. All of it is. And none, it, well, it just is. Yeah. I, I think everybody's aware of that. Do the problems in our culture, are they creating the hopelessness? I wonder if that's where people's minds tend to go. And yet, as I look at it, I'm wondering, is that hopelessness? And I'll put in there slash lack of purpose. Is it creating the problems? It is a piece of the problem for sure. And interesting, <clears throat> interestingly, this is a uh, commentary from Eric Metaxas, who also has a show and several books. And, um, and it was the perception of Americans that you just kind of reflected that everything's bad. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. You know, the, the government this and the politics that. And when in reality, if you look at it through a different lens, that um, world life expectancy, world literacy, world... Um, uh, increasing um, influence and uh, voting and those kind of things for women. Mm-hmm. Th- there has been, there are so many reasons for hope. But if, and people tend to see the, the world through their own lens, mm-hmm. and, and, and even though we have the World Wide Web, people tend to only look at what they look at. And it, it's a very narrow focus, and you, and, and we all scientifically we know that negative sticks, you know, blood leads. Negative sticks way more. It's way more interesting and it holds your attention longer than positive. So we know these things, and so therefore there's this impression which then breeds more negativity and hopelessness. Even though the reality is there's some ways we could state the problems of the world that actually make it look pretty good. Now, granted, we could all, you know, is that spin, is that pie in the sky? And You know, well, you debate about those things. Well, no, I'm going to bring it to the guy you brought me that I ended up interviewing on the Ziggler Show, Rick Hansen. Yeah. Uh, in his book, so the book that you knew was Hardwired uh, for Happiness. And I talked, we talked about that, but we also talked about his new book, Resili- Resilient. Resilient. Uh-huh. And I can't remember which one it is. I think it's resilient where he talks. He has a chapter on our inherent negativity bias. And he has a great job of saying it's not just because we're negative people, but that, you know, he goes back into back in the day when you woke up in a tent or a cave and you were right. listening for a sound of something, kind of like you're uh, the zebra. Right, right. Zebras don't get ulcers. Yep. You know, there was Same idea. a clear and present mm-hmm. danger to talk about that, that movie. There really was. So, so some of the negativity, by it makes sense, but where do we go with it? And we seem to be dwelling on it 
Now, so uh, you reminded me of a story, and I actually had it written down here that I'll, when we think about you, everybody's listening to this, think about themselves primarily. Where are you in your journey to be as well as you can, as well as you want to be, at the performance rate that you want to have, with the symptoms you do or don't want to have? Where are you? And also to think about your kids, which you and I talk about as much as anything in our discussions daily together as fathers of kids of varying ages and talking about how are we doing there? How are our kids doing as we look at the culture in regards to hope? I don't know if I shared this with you. Uh, it's a couple paragraphs. Bear with me here because this was in, this was in response to this. Somebody shared it with me or I re- I don't remember where I got it. It was just recently in the 1950s, John Hopkins professor, Kurt Richter conducted an experiment on rats and bear with me, folks, this is before PETA and all that kind of stuff, so this is nasty. I had experiments on rats where he put them in jars of water to see how long they could go before drowning. He took 34 wild rats who were known for their swimming and survival ability, put them in the water. Within minutes of entering the water, all 34 drowned. And he quotes, this is, he says, the situation of these rats scarcely seems one demanding fight or flight. It is rather one of hopelessness. He wrote, the rats are in a situation against which they have no defense. They seem literally to give up. So Richter then tweaked the experiment. He took other similar rats, put them in a jar just before they were expected to die. However, he picked them up. He held them a little while and then put them back in the water. In this way, he wrote, the rats quickly learned the situation's not actually hopeless. This small interlude made a huge difference. The rats that experienced a brief reprieve swam much longer and lasted much longer. They actually lasted days. So I won't go into the whole thing. I lasted days. Uh, then the the rats were left uh, alone. They also recovered almost immediately when the rats learned that they were not doomed, that the situation was not lost, that there might be a helping hand, uh, at the, at the ready in short, when they had a reason to keep swimming, they did, they did not give up. They did not go under. And his ending quote was after elimination of hopelessness, the rats do not die. That was his scientific writing on that. Wow. Yeah. You got to have a why behind your what? What's your hope? How is that going to fuel your swimming in this case, which it might is the daily deluge of everything that we're living through? And why would you do it at a with honor and integrity and all of those kind of things? Well, because there is hope, mm-hmm. and the world. Our worldview sees the world as full of hope and promise and capacity, and that uh, I'm I'm so grateful that you and I can talk about that today and and actually in not okay sometimes I don't think the rats enjoyed the swimming it's not like they were <laughs> probably out not. for a swim probably not but it's so different yeah. to think that they went they died in minutes versus days. It's pretty remarkable. Out of hope or hopelessness. And we could also put wow. in this, you know, motivation. And and I do want to say, I feel like we'd be reticent if we didn't, to, as we talk about things of faith and, you know, and altruistically that we have all, I know you've seen it. I have definitely seen it and experienced it to say, you know, it's sometimes it's not the size of that hope. It's just the commitment to that. And I've heard, I've heard so many people that I've interviewed on the Ziegler show say, you know what? My initial motivation, it was just to take care of my mom. Or I had one guy, it was Guy Kawasaki is his name, a real well-known guy. And he said, man, his first motivation was just to have a nice car. He grew up, they didn't have a lot of money and he he witnessed wealth and he said, I want to taste that. And that was his motivation. Now he says, okay, it may not be the most altruistic motivation, but he said, thank God I had something. 
something that made me strive versus nothing. Yeah. And by the way, in light of us talking with and about our kids, I've been doing reading and research about Gen Z, you know, and after the millennials. And so it's basically the kids who right now are preschool up to senior in high school. This is the traditional Gen Z. And one of the characteristics of this group of young people that's more so than what we've seen in the past is apathy. Wow. And I, re- I, I really think that this, and hence we have the increase in suicidality. Colorado, by the way, I think is, is still number one. I, I don't understand. I know. Um, I read that. And so we have, I've been working with some other groups through schools and churches in how they're trying to talk about that. But when you have a group of young people who are satisfied with a screen and then any kind of swimming comes along to bring the rat into play, they've got nothing. Because they, I think we kind of know the screen isn't going to be the satisfying thing of life. It's not worthy of a human hope. But what is, and there's not an answer there, or there's a, a this cultural sense of apathy. And so apathyism is now a, a word. Really? And it's it's anyway. This particular article kind of was saying it might be the the biggest challenge. And I, it, for me as a doc, it is a challenge because if you have apathy, you cannot do what it takes to be thriving and well. Yeah. Hey, I'm enamored with that. What you just said, not only the the apathyism statement or definition that I had not heard, but even that that we have our our satisfaction level has lowered we are satisfied Ooh, yes with less man i would i just i hadn't heard it that way and that resonates for sure and when our can, can i say something please, to that yeah. because i just read in fact this is cs lewis that it's not that humans are so much more advanced and we have so much more things that elevate us up it's that with the way that the, our cultures have grown and changed and evolved, our what it what it takes to satisfy us is now so much lower, hmm. and ultimately we're finding it doesn't really satisfy. Mm-hmm. And so we can go to the nth degree of technology, of medical investigations, of your labs. Uh, just this morning, I had a woman, and, and I was trying to explain, how do you think about genetics and all these metagenomics and proteomics and nutrigenomics? And as if knowing your genetic um, uh, profile perfectly is going to tell you what to eat, or really what people want is they, wanna, they want their genes to tell them how to feel satisfied, and it can't. It doesn't matter. Unless you are building your wellness through input-output uh, recovery and to, you know we're talking about relationships and your relationship with hope and inspiration. You cannot be becoming well. Goodness, it, it makes me think of with your commentary there on being satisfied. Kind of the aspect of we know that nutritionally here in America, and a lot of places, people are overfed and undernourished. Yeah. That we're seeing that even with good our, example. Yeah. With with our uh, our in our endeavors in life, if our endeavor is not around a real experience, but about around a virtual reality, and we're satisfied with the screen, it's like we're over. 
how, how can I say that we're, we're overfed, you know, media wise right. we're overfed and, and undernourished. Yeah. There's gotta be a better way no. of saying that. No, no. Well, I think everybody's going to get it. Okay. We are oversaturated with yes. entertainment and input and with shallow and, input. With shallow input, and therefore we are gosh. spiritually malnourished. Yeah, it's like the it's like the how many friends do you have? Well, gosh, I, my parents That's only good. had two good friends. I have <laughs> two thousand on Facebook, and they're so shallow that we feel more alone and isolated than ever in yeah. our uber connected world and on social media. And that's what we're seeing, especially with kids. But I I think of it. With, I, I see it with adults as well. We have fewer social groups. We have fewer people with tight friends, with intimate relationships. Uh, Brene Brown, I saw a video of her again recently, and she's you know she's become a phenomenon on her aspect of vulnerability, which again mm-hmm. is an intimacy and our lack thereof. And, and, and again, all we got to do is point to the stats. We're talking about this stuff. It's not conjecture though. We in this, you know, if, if I don't know if, if we can claim being the most advanced country uh, in America, and yet we are fatter, sicker, sadder. I mean, that is wow. absolute yeah. stats. You can go on right now. I saw that we've always talked about, I think it's been, they talked about healthcare is 3.4 trillion. Yesterday I read an article. Now it's 3.7. And just continuing to increase. And of course, as we know the stats, they deem, they, the government even deems that 80% of that cost is from preventable Lifestyle. issues. We are primarily yeah. doing it to ourselves. So round circle. So here we are on us elevating this. Do you have purpose, hope, expectations, something you are look forward, looking forward to that. Again, I can see you doing that to a patient and saying, Hey, you know, Mary, Bob, what, what are you looking forward to? Yeah. Why change? Why do anything to get better? Mm-hmm. What are you look for looking forward to? And the patients that you have the best success rate with is those who have a tangible goal. I want to do this. I want to feel this way or even more. So I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. I am not okay feeling the way that I do mm-hmm. going on. Cause I know that it is a dark light at the end of that tunnel. Gosh. Yeah. Both the negative feedback loop on the, it's dark light and it's pain and the positive feedback loop of, I hope for more. How much pain I, does it take to move and how much hope does it take? And to you move? and I are at, you know, late forties, early fifties. And I, and, and as the days go on, I wonder, I can't hardly draw the line. I think it's gotten muddled. What is my, what is my motivation for how I feel, act, perform today? What is my motivation in regards to what I'm looking at 20, 30 years down the road? Mm-hmm. If I don't do X, Y today, and I have back to the fear of the Lord, I'm fear, fear of the consequences fear of the my con- lifestyle. And, and that's normal. I mean, you and I have way more visibility on who we might be and look like at 70 versus when we were 20, right? And, you know, our teenagers don't have a thought about Well, and, okay, that. so granted, admittedly, mine's probably more prevalent today because of the past five years that I've shared an office in your medical clinic of watching people come in. And two people come in, one of them looks 30, one of them looks 70, and they're both 45. Yeah. Holy smokes. And that's, that's daunting. That's convicting. It's, that's fearful. Uh, and, and it's inspirational. And hopeful. It should be. <laughs> I, I, there's my negativity bias. Because at first I'm thinking it's, it's fearful. I want the hopeful. Uh, and, and that's So that's interesting. Today. Even though we have a negativity bias, and we do. So you're Rick Hansen and... Uh, negative things, your brain is like Velcro. Mm-hmm. Positive things, your brain is like Teflon. Oh, so it takes so 10 positive things. Yeah. That's right. 
but when it comes to um, doing something, there's like medically. Remember, um, don't do drugs. Here's your brain on drugs, and the yeah, whole that yeah. that campaign, and uh, that's a negativity approach. Right. Versus, and uh, here's a picture of your lungs on COPD when you're 80. Yep. Didn't work. Those do not work. Versus, here's the kind of life you can have if you stay away from this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Of, you know, you, you, your brain can be intact and you can have a family that doesn't disintegrate and all those kind of things. Is a, that hope is much more powerful behavior changer than the fear. Now, in the acute, yeah. and and it's, so back to the zebras, the. Yeah. The acute, it, it, it's, it's very powerful to make a change right now, but it's not a lasting change of habit. That requires hope, not fear. Fear actually goes the other way. I hear you, and that makes sense. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because we also know from a motivating standpoint, pain motivates more than In desire. the acute. Okay. I would argue in the acute. Okay. Well, hang on, because you're getting ready to refer to that. Um, like people fear losing something they already have more than they want to actually gain the next thing. Yeah. I, I, I well, and I was also too. thinking about patients. If you have a hundred, uh, the next hundred new patients that walk in here, I'm going to bet I'm, I'm almost willing to bet 95 of them are going to come in because of a pain. Five True. of them are going to come in and say, I want, I feel well and I want to continue feeling well, which people do. So the negative bias, I would argue, though, is still more prevalent in the acute sense. If we were to go years down the road, what percentage of people maintained lifelong change? Those Those with hope, yes, and a purpose. Friends, this show should have you really contemplating what your hope is. What do you put your hope in? What's your expectation? What is your purpose? And there can be many, and they can change. But knowing that at any given moment is incredibly powerful for our overall health. Thanks again for choosing to tune in to this self-helpful podcast. Again, if you got value, subscribe so you don't miss any shows. Leave a review about this specific episode. And the best thing you can do is talk about what you heard, what you learned today with someone else. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself. 